right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode 337. And with that number, we'll give a shout out to midfielder Morgan Bryan, also known these days as Morgan Gatra. Mo played 337 minutes in the 2016 Olympics, starting all four games for the USA. And she's back in camp with the team on a game day roster, on an event roster, for the first time since 2019. We've seen her on a few camp-only rosters, but this is the first time she'll be suiting up for a tournament since fall 2019. All right, two chats in this episode. First, with defender Katie Naughton of the Houston Dash. She is one of the Dash's NWSL Players Association team reps, and we talked about the 18-month process of finalizing the league's first-ever collective bargaining agreement, what she learned, who really helped um, forward the process uh, among all the players. A pretty big, um, pretty big project, you know, lots of representation. Had a really great time talking to her about that. And then I spoke with Joanna Michelson, who trained with the OL Reign, well, back when they were the Seattle Reign, the first three years of the league. And at the same time, she made it on to the Philippines women's national team. And the reason I wanted to talk to Joanna was the Philippines uh, recently qualified for their first ever women's world cup. So I wanted to talk to someone who was, let's say not there at the start, but, but there at the beginning of the Philippines national team, seeing a lot more Filipino Americans coming in to their roster. And then, of course, there's a Jen Splainer this episode, and this one talking about who's in so far for the 2023 Women's World Cup um, and reviewing Slots for Confederation and other details like that. So hope you enjoy these chats. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at MixZone, M-I-X-X-E-D Zone, and at KeeperNotes. Right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Houston Dash defender Katie Naughton, who is one of the Dash team reps for the NWSL Players Association. And as we've heard about a lot over the last 10 days, the PA is finally confirmed, signed its first ever collective bargaining agreement with the with the league. Katie, how does that feel to have that done and dusted? Yeah, well, hi, Jen. Thanks for having me again. Um, but yeah, it feels really great to finally have the CBA ratified and in place. Um, it was a long road to get there. I think about a year and a half, maybe more, of work that went on behind the scenes. But it really is such a great first contract for us. So I'm really excited to have that in place now. And a year and a half seems like such a long time, but... I I mean, just from watching MLS and Major League Baseball and other negotiations over the years, it's probably not too long when you consider it's the first ever collective bargaining agreement for the players. So, you know, give us a glimpse of, of what that year and a half has been like for you where we haven't seen, right? Like we see you play, we see you practice, we see players on Instagram, we don't see them dealing with all this nitty-gritty behind the scenes. Yeah, that's a great point. I think sometimes fans and media kind of miss out on the human element um, and the time and sacrifices that we do end up 
you know, taking along the way. And the CVA was well worth it, but it did eat up quite a bit of time outside of soccer and uh, training and all of that. But yeah, it really started pretty much at the end of the Challenge Cup in 2020. That was when um, the PA asked for volunteers to represent the collective bargaining committee and obviously wanted some representatives from each team. So from Houston, it was myself, Brie Vasali, Veronica Latsko while she was still with us. And uh, once the U.S. Women's National Team were able to join, Jane Campbell came along too. So uh, it was quite a journey. Uh, <laughs> you know, we would try and meet, I think, pretty much weekly to go over you know, the, the items that we had already proposed to the league, the items that were in our court that we needed to respond to. And then towards the tail end of things, when we were trying to get this thing done and ratified, uh, we were meeting pretty much every day. So, yeah, I think Megan Burke, our executive director, she kind of tallied up all the hours that we spent over Zoom. And I think it was about over 400 hours of work done, which is insane. Wow. But yeah, that's a lot yeah. of Zoom. <laughs> a lot of Zoom. And that's the thing, too. Like, we weren't able to do any of this in person, which in a normal environment, we would have. We would have been able to meet and see the league face to face. And I think that might have helped in some situations and maybe right. hurt in others. Who knows? We, we will right. never know. But um, yeah, so it was definitely a different experience. And our lawyers were awesome. Uh, but they also, you know, this was kind of new territory for them as well with the the virtual negotiation table <laughs> well and i'm sure being able to do zoom meant that you know more players could be on those calls right in a mm -hmm. way that if everybody met in person you couldn't really have all the players and all the various representatives all in one room and have a really constructive meeting but yeah there are some things where face-to-face -face just you know seems seems a little easier um, yeah. But that being said, like when you're, you're kind of, you guys are writing this from scratch in a way, right? Like obviously we had the, the standard player agreement that was already in place, but that was, that was a pretty bare bones kind of thing. And we had seen over the years, um, you know, an, an uptick in the minimum salary. And, you know, just a few years ago, I, I thought it was a huge move that, you know, the, the league was finally covering costs. Um, well, the clubs were covering costs for the players housing year round. Um, but how, you know, how did you guys start with, okay, what's priority? What's not priority? What's middle priority? I mean, how, how do you even, can, can you go back to, you know, 18 months ago, right after cup and try to think about how did, how did those original thoughts come together? Yeah. So I think the year before, or maybe it was right before 2020, we had seen the WNBA and they had just ratified their latest CBA. And obviously they have a ton of amazing things that are included in that. And we wanted to include as much of that as possible in ours. But um, we did look at their CBA. We looked at the MLS. We looked at the uh, MLB. We looked at the pretty much every professional sports team in America. We kind of just looked at all of them to see what they had. We didn't necessarily want to, you know, copy and paste, but we wanted to see right. kind of the layouts and understand what we were getting ourselves into. Um, and then from there, our lawyers explained it right up front. They're like, you have to think of this as a pie. So what is 
the biggest piece of the pie that you're willing to die on a hill for, essentially. And if you can get top three priority items that you are willing to fight for, then that's a good starting point. So from there, we took all of these items to our team, our respective teams, and asked them, okay, like these are the main points of the CBA that we're going to be looking at. What are three top priority items that you guys would want? And like rank them one to three. And then we'll, you know, give that data back to the the bargaining committee and, you know, kind of give them a reference point of what we're really trying to accomplish with the CBA. And I think that was a really good uh, strategy moving forward because we kind of were able to focus our energy around those main points. And that must be so hard. I mean, I'm guessing it's the lawyer and their the, and their staff that are like, taking all of the responses that you guys send them and and compiling and figuring out this is priority. This is less priority. You know, like you said, viewing it as a pie and what's, what's the most important part, you know, of the pie, what what are you, what are you willing to die on that, on that hill for? Um, Talk about, you know, over the next year, like did, priorities changed were there back and forth of within the players themselves of like wait maybe this is more important or you know as as the 2021 season you know happened um you know so many crazy things happening in that in that season I'm sure that affected you know maybe what players thought they wanted or like hey we need to ask for this too or this is more important now right of course and I think Last year was really uh, a telling year for the things that were lacking in the league and what we needed immediately. Um, one of those being player self safe, excuse me, players health and safety um, was at the top of the list at that point because we didn't even have a harassment policy in place prior to 2021, which is pretty crazy to think about. But right. Um, that got that got put in place before the CBA was ratified, which is great because that needed to be there. Um, but then moving forward, you know, we wanted to focus on maybe some of the ramifications that players had that now they need help with mental health or, um, you know, just therapy, all those kinds of things we wanted to include in the CBA so that they felt like there was a safe space for them to still perform and still be a professional athlete, but also get the help and resources that they needed to get better. Um, And then from there, I think it kind of turned into, okay, if we have this in place, what's the next step? And I think that's kind of when compensation and free agency come into play. And those were some of the things we really wanted to fight for because, you know, we're in our 10th year of this iteration of the league and, we think we're doing pretty well. We're pretty stable. And now's the time that players should be getting paid what they're worth, you know? So, um, yeah. And I think it did kind of go back and forth quite a bit within the group uh, in the early stages, just trying to figure out the, the landscape and navigate some new waters and hear everyone's opinions and listen with intent. But, I think at the end of the day, we all really understood each other and had each other's backs and, you know, supported each other's viewpoints, which is great. And the collective bargaining committee that we have or had was, you know, a group of really great people and it was always respected. And 
yeah, it was just, it was a fun and sometimes tiresome uh, position to be in, <laughs> but it was well worth it. <laughs> Well, and I think what's interesting about these negotiations is that for the bulk of the time, um, your national team stars were not part of it. They could not be a part of it because their contracts mm-hmm. were held by U.S. soccer. Now, for 2022, that that's different. So, of course, I'm sure a few of them were involved in the, in you know, in the last stages. But talk about you know who who really um, surprised you a, a, as a leader, either a player you knew or didn't know very well who you know, stepped up in that 18 month stretch to, to be a leader where I think, again, the the fans and media, they're used to seeing the national teamers as the leaders. Right. right? And in this situations, this had to be the non-national team league players. So, you know, who are, who are your heroes after, after these 18 months of negotiations? Yeah, for sure. And I think obviously credit is due to Megan Burke and her role in all of this and the lawyers that we had, they did a phenomenal job. And I think our executive board um, with the PA. So when this all started, it was Tori Huster, uh, Nicole Barnhart, Emily Menges and Rachel Corsi. And they put in so much time and energy into, you know, making sure they could attend all these meetings and also do the other work that they had responsibilities with um, and they were able to balance that. I don't know how, Um, but then within the bargaining committee itself of the players, I think, you know, we each had our own role at times where we maybe stepped up uh, to the plate, but I think, you know, I thought Merritt Mathias was a real key role or had a really key role towards the end. She brought a lot of insight and from her experience in the league was able to, you know, share some ideas and concerns with maybe some of the proposals that we had been given. Um, Nicole Zerboni, same kind of thing. She brought a lot of experience and wisdom to the discussion. And then I think, you know, to have some of the younger players, um, Brie was, we called her the free agency hound because she really fought for free agency. (laughs) Um, Yeah. She's heard that quite a bit. And then, uh, yeah, I think like Amani Dorsey, uh, and Simone Charlie, they have, they're maybe a bit younger, but they bring a different perspective. So it was really quite a melting pot of players, but I thought that it was really well-rounded and it really did bring, you know, a perspective from every angle that we were able to see things that maybe we wouldn't have thought of had they not been on the calls. And it's interesting to think about, you know, you're talking about this range of players, you know, older, younger, but they're all within, um, you know, 10 years of each other age-wise. But when you think of how hugely the, the league has changed over, you know, the last nine seasons, right? That like Merritt Mathias yeah. and Nicole Zerboni are going to remember a 2013 that was a wildly different first year than say right. your first year in 2016 or Simone Charlie's first year in 2019, right? But right. So to have, have all of those perspectives together is huge and then someone like Bree who you know spent a couple seasons in England so can bring an outsider's perspective exactly and she did that quite a bit which was great because she had a a different reference point whereas I don't know if many players on the call have been able to have that experience to play abroad for an extended period of time and really know the ins and outs of you know their system their PFA and uh, she was really good at, you know, kind of being like, well, this is what they do over there. I don't know if it's what we want, 
that's what we want to do here, but that's maybe something we can think about down the road, you know? So just keeping things in perspective for the future too. Well, and I also like seeing things you had mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, negotiating for some infrastructure first and, and the compensation was the final part of it where I think most people would think, oh, compensation's first. But, you know, for those of those of you who have lived in the league, right, like you've seen the other needs. I mean, what, what really stuck out to me in the bullet points of um, things that are in the CBA, aside from, of course, free agency, is four-week severance pay plus 30 days housing and health insurance for someone who gets waived. That's mm-hmm. huge, right? right. And, and it's really a small thing in the larger scheme of things. But for that individual player who is suddenly without a team, you don't have the, oh, I need to move out this weekend. Right. You know, right. like, and, and, you and know, just, that wasn't, that's huge. Yeah, exactly. Like that was never in place before, obviously. So players would find out via social media that they were getting waived or traded and they're like, oh, crap, like I literally have to pick up my life and leave today or tomorrow. And, you know, that's just not a healthy lifestyle and it just puts so much stress on people. So we really wanted to try and make, you know, a probably not ideal situation as harmless as possible for those players um, and, you know, help them get back up on their feet from whatever standpoint they're at, you know. Yeah, it's just it's 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 like I said, it's small in in the bigger scheme of things, but mm-hmm. such such an important part for that that individual. Kind of same with you know the, the mental health support that that you mentioned. Talk about what what free agency means for you and for players like Bree, and even for for the older players. Yeah, so that was uh, one of the probably main sticking points that we really held our guns on. Um, But so the overview of it is you have three service years until you are eligible for restricted free agency, and that's right to first refusal. And then five service years for unrestricted free agency, and there's a stepping stone in between uh, this next year. So 2023, if you have six service years, under your belt, then you're eligible for unrestricted free agency. And then the next year, 2024 is when what I just described will fall into place. But yeah, I mean, that just puts so much more power in the player's hands and really kind of allows them to dictate where they want to play and, you know, where they want to live and just basically have control over their own destiny. Whereas in previous years, you know, they might not have been in a good situation, but they were stuck there because they didn't have their their rights. They didn't have power over their own rights. So they, you know, were kind of beholden to the club and the coaches and, you know, trying to navigate that infrastructure is kind of a nightmare. So we really wanted to really uh, put power back to the players and give them the opportunity to do what they want as opposed to what the club wants. And I would think for any foreign players looking at the league now that they're probably yeah. like, okay, I like this better as opposed to some club I've never heard of <laughs> deciding right. to have my rights forever. Right. And that's the thing too. It's kind of crazy that players that have been retired for, I don't know, 
five plus years are still yes. on, <laughs> yes. you know, discovery lists of teams. And it's kind of absurd that they're even still considered, you know, potential players that are eligible to be on teams. But that's, you know, why we have this CDA now. <laughs> so hopefully <laughs> uh, mitigate things like that from happening again. Now, have you guys ever thought about this just random question for you? Because I know that MLS players do this. They um, re- they publicly release their their salaries every year for every single player, you know, from the people in the millions to the people on the bare minimum. And I remember several years ago, an NWSL fan saying, why don't we have that friend of your cell? Why doesn't the league release that? And I'm like, oh, that's not the league. That's the players releasing that, right? Because it's, it's, it's your personal information right and obviously the mls players association you know made a decision as a group to do that i'm sure not everybody's cool with it but has that been discussed at all or is not something they think needs to be done yet yeah we have discussed it i i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon probably not within this cba but it has been up for discussion i think with this free agency that will be kind of the litmus test as to how well it does go and you know if we're able to then release the player salaries to maybe give other players you know the opportunity to use that as leverage for themselves moving forward you know there's there's been talks about that but I don't know if we're at a place right now where that's the smartest thing to do um, right more, more problems at this juncture um, than solutions so hopefully hopefully in the future we're at a comfortable enough place to do it but I don't think that's right now well and of course you've just completed an amazing 18 months of negotiating the first ever cba and to me it's kind of like the draft where you kind of want to see it as an ending but it's really a beginning right yeah because you know this this cba lasts what three years five five years okay good Mm -hmm. so you don't you don't you don't have a deadline on you you know coming at you any anytime soon but it'll move quick enough. Right. And of course I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's going to be maybe unforeseen issues that come up that you guys have to deal with. Right. Or at least you're consulted as the team reps. There are still reps for every team. Correct. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So So I think, yeah, there's still room for improvement in every aspect of the league and, you know, the PA, I think, you know, we're still, going to work hard to make sure that we fix whatever comes our way but I think this is obviously a great jumping off point for us and you know gives us a little more autonomy and power and you know the players voices can be heard more now so I think it's kind of hard to wrap my head around still that this is an an historic moment but um, it is and I think that's incredible and I'm I'm really grateful that I was able to be part of it and to have some input here and there to to hopefully make this league a more hospitable and you know welcoming place for players that want to come play here well and as we know katie a a good defender's work is never done and you've (laughs) you've done a boatload over the last 18 months you and everyone on the pa and just thank you so much for sharing that experience with me talking um, to the fans. Really appreciate it. And good luck with this first ever CBA. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. I hope that shed some light on the experience and 
gave the fans and the listeners a little bit of uh, an insight into what went on for these last 18 months. Time for a little gensplaining. And the topic this week is qualifying for the 2023 Women's World Cup. The 2023 event will be the first Women's World Cup to be hosted by two nations, Australia and New Zealand. So, of course, those two automatically qualify for the tournament. So there's going to be 32 teams this time. This will be the first tournament with 32 teams, which is the same number as the men's tournament. So Australia and New Zealand are the first two of the 32, and we now have five more qualified teams since the Women's Asian Cup wrapped up, um, all the semifinalists qualified, and then there was a, a playoff among uh, the quarterfinalists, the losing quarterfinalists, and Vietnam got a slot. So Japan, South Korea, China, Philippines, and Vietnam are five Asian representatives, Philippines and Vietnam, clinching their first ever Women's World Cup berths. So that's seven teams down, 25 to go. And an overview of, of the slots by Confederation. So Asia's already decided the five, their five slots plus the host, Australia. Australia, I know it's confusing, but they uh, belong to the Asian Confederation. Africa will have four slots. Um, they're just starting their qualifying process. CONCACAF, North America, Central America, and the Caribbean will have four slots. And our qualifying starts this month with um, basically all the teams except USA and Canada um, starting matches. CONMEBOL, which is South America, they will have three slots, and their tournament will be this summer. Oceania, um, they don't have an automatic slot, but they have a chance for a playoff slot. And of course, Toast New Zealand automatically qualifies. Europe, or UEFA, gets 11 slots. And then the last three slots of the 32 will be determined by a 10-team playoff tournament. This is the first time that FIFA is doing something like this to decide spots for the Women's World Cup. I think it's really interesting in that it, I think it kind of helps... Um, decide who's the three strongest from that remaining pool of teams also sets up a, a test run tournament. Um, I think this tournament is set to be next February, 2023 um, to kind of prepare everything for the summer tournament. So the 10 team tournament and three teams will, will qualify from that will be composed of two Asian teams, two African teams, two CONCACAF teams, two South American teams, one Oceania team, and one European teams. And those will be all of the teams that finish below the people that qualified in their respective confederations. So that's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, if you want more details and links to really interesting FIFA and confederation documents, really the best place to go is Wikipedia and look at 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. All kinds of great links on qualification, you know, the schedule's already set in terms of dates of matches, where matches will be. Only Australia and New Zealand are automatically assigned to a certain slot. Um, all the other schedules won't be known until everyone is finished qualifying. But I hope that's helpful. Um, of course, there'll be many more Jen Splainers about the Women's World Cup or the next year and a half. 
great Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Joanna Michelson, who I'm talking to this week because some really big soccer history happened. And Joanna just happens to be the first member of the Philippines women's national team who played in NWSL. And Philippines has just qualified for the Women's World Cup for the first time ever. So Joanna, first question for you. How does that feel knowing that your national team will be heading to Australia, New Zealand in 2023? Um, I think just, you know, so much pride. Um, I Watching um, people, other people's reactions, my own reaction, you know, um, just knowing how much work that was done behind scenes with the staff, players, you know, past players, um, retired players, um, how much us finally like the world cup's always been you know that 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 everything that we're striving to to work for and to finally have it happen and you know for how young the philippine national team program is relatively um how quickly we were able to finally achieve that goal and seeing seeing it happen um yeah just so much pride and, and and joy um i i i never thought i would actually see it happen um within like the next, you know, 10 years and, and for, and for them to, you know, prove, prove me wrong. Um, I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Um, again, just super proud, um, um, for, for that team. And obviously, you know, everyone that was involved in it, um, it just brings so much pride to, to the, to the small, small island of, of, of the Philippines. And, um, I, I think, um, that just, you know, seeing everyone's reaction just kind of speaks, speaks for, speaks volumes of how much it meant to, to those players and in the country. Well, and you were part of the national team when when they had their first really big injection of American and Canadian NCAA players, players who, of course, had, you know, some, some Filipina blood. Um, so that was back in 2013. And that's the same time that NWSL was kicking off. Um, and, you know, you're from the Pacific Northwest, you went to school there, of course, you know, so you had the rain in town, you had Sounders women in the W League, the old W League in town. Um, talk about, you know, soccer growing up and, and, and then as 2013 comes around, and it's like the timing seems to be perfect where you're coming out of college and boom, there's a real pro league and then this opportunity with the Philippines. So talk about Andy yourself first, but then we'll talk about 2013 with the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, coming fresh out of college, I was like, you know, I'm still itching to play. I'm, I'm not done yet. And, you know, I was, I, I was, I was injured quite a, quite a bit during my college years. And so I feel like I was peaking my senior year. And so that's where I was like, all right, what I was seeking more opportunities. And, um, it was actually through Issaquah Gunners uh, Soccer Club um, that, um, you know, I kind of got that connection with um, um, the NWSL and and Laura Harvey, who was the first coach of Seattle Rain. I think she's actually, she's back coaching now again. But, yeah, so I was like, all right, there's like the semi-pro Issaquah Gunners team. Um, and there was Sounders as well, but they were in two different leagues. And so went down there, tried out, and then they the gunners partnered up with uh, the, uh the seattle rain um and i remember just going to like a tryout like oh you know laura laura harvey's going to be here um you know make sure you play well and you know we're just playing and then you know i was i was able to catch laura's eye and she was like hey you want to come out and just come train and you know try out as well and i was like yeah absolutely and 
you know, at that time, you know, I was just like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, the, the rain's here, Seattle rain, you know, that, that sounds cool. And, you know, I was kind of oblivious and young, was like, yeah, sure, why not? I've got time. I've graduated. <laughs> uh, this, 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 this sounds fun. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of all by just kind of seeking more opportunities and, you know, um, you know, the, the, the things just working out timing wise. Um, and, and yeah, and so ever since then, I think, uh, you know, Laura gave me the opportunity to, to try out, um, be training player and, um, yeah, I did that thing for like three years and, um, yeah, it was a great experience, you know, for some, for a young, uh, for a, a college player graduated and who was seeking to continue to play, um, what an opportunity to be able to, to, to train and play with a, with a professional team and, you know, like Hope Solo, Megan Rapino, like all those players were on that team. And so, Tim um, Little, yeah, Keelan Winter, yeah, Jess Fish. Oh, like yeah. when I think about like Lauren Bart, yeah. like what a great group. Yeah. 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 It was like, when I look back now, you know, I was like, wow, like what, what a, what opportunity to rub shoulders with the best of the best. And at the time I def being a young player and just being a little more immature, I like, took it for granted. But when I look back, I was like, you know, not a lot of people can say that they were able to train, you know, and have a shooting practice against Hope Solo and receive crosses from Megan Rapino, you know? So just stuff like that. It's just like, you know, I, at the time I was like, Oh, this is cool. And, but now it's like, ah, like I wish, I wish I would have cherished those moments just a little bit more back in, <laughs> back then. And then how did the opportunity to play with the Philippines national team come about? Yeah, so that's actually a pretty inter interesting uh, story. Um, I was my college coach at Western uh, Washington University. He got a letter um, to, um, addressed to him saying, hey, um, you know, we're doing a, a camp in California. Um, can you please, you know, let Joanna know that we'd like to invite her? And at the time, I remember it was like, you know, the fall of my senior year and my coach, like, oh, this sounds like a pretty cool opportunity. And I was like, oh, it's got to be a joke. That's not real. I've never heard of the Philippine women's national team. Like, that's not real. And then so, you know, I started looking some <laughs> stuff up and, you know, there was a couple of YouTube videos of, of them training. And I was like, oh, I don't know. It, that, that doesn't look like it's for me. But then, you know, as I graduated, I was like, well, you know. I still want to play and this could be another opportunity for me to continue to play. So I was like, all right, why not? Let's, let's go to California, go to this training camp and let's see what's this about. Like I got nothing to lose here. So mine yeah. as well. And so, and so, yeah. And so it was actually, I found out that they had, you know, the Federation had asked recruiters in the U S to just literally look up rosters of every possible uh, women's soccer pro college program. You know, and if players looked Filipino, they would reach out to them. Um, right. and, and, I, and, and so that's, and that's how I was found essentially, um, Mark was my kind of recruiter and who, who, who sent out the letter to me and got in contact with me. And I was like, how did you find me? He was like, I just looked your rosters up and you look Filipino. And so I sent you a letter. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, makes sense. You know, that, 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 that makes sense of how, how, how else would you do it? Um, but yeah, just, there's, there's, there's no database on it. It's like, all right, you look Filipino. Let, let's send you a letter. Hopefully you come out. That's amazing. So, so you you went out um, to the trials with probably a lot of other women that yeah, yeah. the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a very large group, a lot of young high schoolers. Um, you know, I can't remember if it was 2013 or 2014, but yeah, like uh, um, I know, like uh, goalkeeper Olivia McDaniel and, and, her, and her sister. They, I, rem I remember them being like kind of high schoolers or maybe freshman in college. I can't remember, but I remember be them being at one of the training camps, and and I was I, I was I started to become one of the older um, players, and um, yeah, a lot of like 
from all the way from high schoolers, you're like, you got 15, 14 year olds out there, all the way to like, we had like people in their, in their mid to late thirties. Um, so it was, it was quite a diverse group of, you know, uh, Filipinos out there trying to, trying to make their way on the national team. And so you guys ended up playing in, I think it was the 2013, um, AFF Women's Championship that was like pre-qualifying to go to the Asian Cup. Yeah, um, I think that was the one in Bangladesh. Yes, yes. Yes. So yeah, talk, was, yeah. talk about what you remember from that experience because you scored a lot of goals in that one. Nine goals in eight games. Was it that one I scored a lot of goals in? Uh, I can't remember. Um, but the one that... Bang, I know the, or, no, 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 it was, no, it was, is the, it was the, the one in Myanmar. Yeah, yeah, that was the yeah, one that's in Myanmar, like, yeah. Yeah, so, well, Bangladesh and Myanmar, you know, like two countries that, you know, that, that, that wouldn't be on my bucket list, but, you know, two beautiful countries <laughs> to go to. Um, I Bangladesh kind of was our first experience really traveling as, a, uh, as this kind of new Philam team. Um, and I know a lot of us, uh, it was, it was, we got sick. All of us got sick. Let's just say that. And wow. so we were kind of, kind of just combating, you know, we were, you know, it was, you know, the, these hotels that are nice hotels, you know, in, um, in, in considered in, in their country in, in Bangladesh. Um, but obviously, you know, being from um, being American and, and, and Canadian, you know, uh, our, it wasn't to the standard that we were expecting. Obviously we're very we're grateful and gracious of what they provided, but it was definitely an eye opener of like, Oh wow. Like, Yes, we are definitely like, you know, in a third world country trying to play. And uh, I just remember a handful of us got super sick. And I I got the sick the night before we, we played Thailand, which was like, you know, the game that we needed to win. Um, and yeah, I just remember I was, you know, uh, not well during that game. And um, I, I think I only played a half because I was pretty useless out there. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great experience to travel to these these countries. But um, but yeah, same, same with Myanmar. Myanmar was you know, again, a country that I would never think to go to, but uh, so beautiful. Um, but again, it just m- kind of humbles you to, to see, you know, all right, this is, you know, again, another third world country. It, it, it's the, it, the environment that you know, the, the, the people are in. It's, it's, it's not what, you know, what we're, what we're used to or accustomed to, but at the same time, they, 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 they do so well with what they have. And again, for a lot of us, it was like humbling experience, eye opener and just kind of made us realize like how, how lucky and, and, and how grateful we should be um, for the opportunities we have. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like 2013 was the big year um, for the team. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing on the old women's soccer United site that you guys played in the Asian cup qualifiers. Yeah. The, the uh, I don't know. It's ASEAN Football Federation's Women's Championship. That's the one probably in, in Myanmar. And then the Southeast Asian Games. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That, that sounds right. And, and I know that, um, you know, when a team makes the World Cup for the first time, suddenly they get a lot of attention, right? But none, <laughs> of, none of that came out of nowhere. I mean, I, I, I kind of remember France in the 2011 women's world cup you know suddenly it's people like suddenly making the semifinals it's like no the federation made a commitment like seven years before they're like okay let's identify you know all the 14 and 15 year olds who seem really talented and make sure they get extra resources right and so Mm -hmm. i feel like you know philippines clinching for 2023 this month is a you know long end result of the federation going all right we need to recruit anybody we can 
you know, to make this program better. Um, you know, and like you said, some of the young players you played with, they're still with the team, you know, and, and the fact that they hired Alan Stagic, who, you know, used to coach Australia and who, you know, we know the Matildas did not want <laughs> him, to, him to leave. It's, it's like, when I saw that, when I was watching the, the Asian cup on Paramount plus, I'm like, wow, they have Stagic. Like that's, that's serious. So, so talk about what you've seen since 2013 as, as the growth of the Philippines national team. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, that, that, that that first big wave, you know, they made strides and then that just each, each tournament, each year, I think the Federation just realized, you know, there's more and more potential and decided to, you know, continue to put that support in, even though, you know, we're, we're always like just you know we're always close to getting to to reach our reaching our goals but never never actually doing it and you know I was there was a point where I was like oh, I don't I don't know if you know the the, the support's going to continue because uh, you know we there was a cycle of I feel like I can't remember what years but there's just like new coach after new coach after new coach and there was no stability and um you know and so for me when I when I was stepping away from it and just seeing it's like you know the, the potential is there with, with with the with the athletes and players that and the pool that they have, but, but it's just, you know, the, the lack of consistency in, in, in coaching and staff was missing and, and really just having a coach um, that had experience with the, with the, with the, with the competitive national team was, you know, really the, in my opinion, kind of the biggest, the biggest, um, the biggest focus that the federation needed to bring in. And, um, you know, like, like I said, there was, you know, numerous coaches coming through all, all great coaches, but not, not what I thought, um, was needed to get them to where they needed to, to go. And so when they finally, you know, got, got Allen, I was like, holy smokes, like this guy, you know, you know, coached the Australian national team. He's got a great record. And when I, when I saw they, they picked him up, I was like, all right, this, he might, he, he might be able to, to get something done and, 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 and get this team to that, to that next, to that next level. And um, like I said, you know, when we first started in 2013, you know, they, every year, every tournament, things got better and it was just kind of, you know, it slowly, it wasn't like the fastest progression, but um, from what I saw um, and what I experienced, um, the Federation did continue to try to provide support um, and make it and make it a better experience for players. And, but like I said, I think the, the biggest thing that was really missing was just really, you know, getting, getting that experienced coach um, to, to be able to, to, to lead the team in, 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 into, a, into the World Cup, um, to, into qualifying for the World Cup. And when I saw they, they got Allen, I was like, all right, this, this this might be the one and um and like like i said you know nothing against all the previous coaches they're all great as well but they, they didn't have the the, the experience and um that alan has um and right. that, that makes a that, that makes a huge difference um when going into these tournaments you know um against other other nations it, it, it and to me i think that was definitely something um that that was a very uh a big a big key hire um, that made um, quite a big difference. And I, I definitely agree with that because just watching uh, the Philippines versus Australia group stage game, right? Like Philippines went the whole first half without conceding to Australia, yeah. which we know is, you know, a, a, a top 10 team. I mean, that that's the difference of having a coach, not only who's coached that team before, but also has coached at a really high level. And, you know, that there's there's no substitute for that, that kind of experience. Right. But I also just like what it means symbolically in that the Federation committing to a coach of that stature 
tells everybody, not just the players, but the fans and the media that, you know, we're, we're serious about this. This isn't a, a part-time person or just, you know, whoever we could find to get it. You know, we want the best available because we want to get to the World Cup. And, and I think that's one of the exciting things about 2023 with the expansion to 32 teams that we're going to see some teams, more teams that have never made it before, just like in the playoffs for the teams that, um, you know, lost the quarterfinals um, in the, in the Asian cup, you know, as I was watching mm-hmm. Chinese Taipei versus Vietnam. And, and even though they, that they knew that whoever lost would still go into a, a later playoff tournament, it's like just the extreme joy by the Vietnamese players when they clinched and just the, you know, utter disappointment <laughs> of the Taiwanese yeah. players, right? It's, it's like, you yeah. see how much it means. And, you know, even though we're, we're probably going to have a little bit of an unbalanced um, group stage in the 2023 World Cup, the, the fact that yeah. you're opening up more spots means that more countries are trying to develop players and giving opportunities and, you know, tournaments like this. And, you know, it's like, and the fact that we could watch it, right? Like, yeah, I, huge. yeah. Like I remember watching a little bit of 2018 and 2014, wherever I could find it, this was more like, Hey, every single game is sitting on Paramount plus and I can go rewatch it if I can't get up at 4 a.m. to watch it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just more accessible, you know, like, and, and that's the thing, you know, with women's sports, people are st- finally starting to realize like, like this is entertainment. This is good entertainment. And, you know, if you get, provide the platforms for people to be able to access and watch it, then people will watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch. And so for you now coaching, you know, still in the Pacific Northwest, uh, do the players you're co- you coach, like, do they know that you've, you know, played for a national team, that you've scored an international goal? <laughs> uh, yeah, most of them know, you know, when we do like our, you know, beginning of the team, beginning of the year meeting, you know, I do like just a quick introduction and a little bio, but um, no, I don't go too much into depth with it. Um, you know, and every now and then I'll, I'll jump in to practices, you know, and so I haven't done it in, in two years. So I've been pregnant the past two years back to back, but you know, I would jump in and, and compete and they'd be like, Oh, okay. She still got it. She still got it. And I was like, oh, I still got it. of course I still got it. I'm, I'm only 32. Of course I still got it. Um, yeah. Do, do, do I, you ever I, get to say like, Hey, when I was doing shooting practice against Hope Solo, <laughs> <laughs> I try, of course, I they might, they might be young enough. Yeah, they might be young enough to go. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, that's you know? true. No, yeah, no. Like, with all my when when I was like, during the time, you know, because I was, you know, I was, I was training, I was playing, and, and I was, um, I was coaching at the, in 2013 as well when I was with the rain. And there'd be times that I'd come back. I was like, yeah, I, I just got done playing with some nas- U.S. national team players, and um, they'd be like, what? I was like, yeah, yeah, not a big deal though. And then yeah, just kind of change the conversation. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I would. That's the way to do it. I would, uh, yeah, yeah, just kind of play it cool. And they'd be like, "Oh wow!" And then you know, but yeah, no, they, they, they I definitely let them know. But yeah, I, now, now that I'm not currently playing anymore, um, uh, but they probably know a little bit less of, of how much I did. And um, but yeah, I usually just, just let my talking um, be done when I when I jump in and play. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, any last thoughts on just you know the last decade for the for the Philippines women's national team because. You know, it sounds like 2013 was the beginning of, hey, we got to do whatever we got to do. And then capping it off with this qualification 
um, just, you know, I, I immediately thought of you when they, when they clinched, because I knew you were the first Filipina in, in NWSL, but just and any last thoughts on, on your Malditas? Is that how do I say right? Malditas? Malditas. Yeah. Malditas. yeah. It kind of means like, yeah, it's like, it's like, means like bad girl or like naughty girl. Um, kind of, <laughs> yeah. I know a lot, a lot, a lot, like a lot of people, like a lot of like my family, like Malditas. It's like it's like a bad girl, naughty girl. Like I was like, yeah, I guess that's that, that's us. <laughs> you kind of went went with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think you know this qualification, and like I said, just you know now how much attention and exposure that it's bringing the country and 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 football in the Philippines. Like I hope this is just kind of again, it's going to spark a new beginning for more support um for for women's football in the philippines and just kind of showing that yes you know give us the platform give us the support um and and the players will will do what they will will be able to thrive um and i and i just hope like i said that this that this is just kind of the beginning for for um a whole new level and opportunity and, and exposure for the philippine national uh, women's national team um so like i said i think they've, they've always had the potential you know in the, in the past few years past 10 years to to be competitive on the national stage but we were just missing a, f- a few more parts to to really bring that all together and um now everything's kind of lining up and and hopefully just continue to 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 grow and 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 uh continue to just to build off of off of this success um, with the qualif- with qualifying um i think like i said like you know so much they're, they're it's brought a lot of attention and people are like oh the Philippine women's national team. Oh, it's like their first time they've ever qualified. They're making history, and um, and hopefully, like uh, this is just kind of the beginning of a of a of a of a new Philippine women's national team, and just continue to you know provide provide that support for 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 those for those women and the staff to to continue to grow the game um, in the Philippines. time to wrap it up with the back four and this is a pretty big back four because finally lots more women's soccer is getting underway as we're coming out of our our winter haze so we now have the challenge cup schedule for the 2022 NWSL challenge cup and i've entered all the games into the keeper notes women's soccer google calendar so be sure to look for that on your google calendar and you can subscribe to it Group play will kick off Friday, March 18th. We're going to have three groups this time, four teams in each group. So East, Central, and West. And each team will play its three opponents, both home and away. So each team has three home games and three away games. At the end of the group round, the three group winners advance to the semifinals, along with the highest performing second place team. Semifinals will be Wednesday, May 4th, and the final will be Saturday, May 7th, and that will air live on Big CBS, just like last year. The complete broadcast schedule has not been finalized, but all games will be available on either Paramount Plus, CBS Sports, or CBS in the U.S., and on Twitch internationally. Although I always have to add the caveat that any games on CBS Sports or CBS do not air on Twitch in Canada since they are on CBS Sports or CBS in Canada. Now, keep in mind, I've said this before, but I think it it bears repeating. Paramount Plus and CBS, they're picking up a lot of soccer properties. So at this point, there's there's little reason not to subscribe these days. When $10 a month gets you NWSL, 
European Women's World Cup qualifying, the Women's Asian Cup, CONCACAF Men's Qualifiers, Champions League, um, even the the Arnold Clark Cup, the one that's coming up that England is hosting, those games will be on Paramount+. Plus. And the best part is that the games are safe forever. It's not like ESPN Plus where they're up for a few months and then they disappear. They're still there. Uh, the cha- the Women's Champions League games that they showed in 2020, they're still there. Every 2020 NWSL Challenge Cup game, it's still there. <laughs> um, the only ones that aren't from NWSL are ones that happen to be Twitch exclusives. Um, but there's a lot lot of women's soccer content on there and only more is being added. All right. So that was just the first bullet of, of the back four. Here's number two. The seventh edition of the She Believes Cup kicks off next week in Southern California. The U.S. women, they will face Iceland, New Zealand, and the Czech Republic. The U.S. games will air on ESPN or ABC. And for more info on the schedule, roster, all kinds of detail on She Believes Cup, just check out ussoccer.com. And if you haven't um, been paying attention to roster call-ups, keep in mind, Vlakonanosko is going pretty young for this tournament, resting a lot of older players. That does not mean that they won't be back when there are friendlies in April. And then along with the She Believes Cup, um, lots of other women's soccer happening during the February FIFA window. We've got the Arnold Clark Cup featuring England, Canada, Brazil. Like I mentioned before, that will be on Paramount+. Plus. Tournoi de France with Les Bleus hosting three opponents. Um, the Algarve Cup in Portugal, which is this much smaller event these days with these other tournaments happening. Women's World Cup qualifiers for CONCACAF, also African Cup of Nation qualifiers. Whenever possible, I've added these games to the Keeper Notes Women's Soccer Google Calendar. And if I find broadcast info, I put it on there. Um, always trying to, to build resources for, for women's soccer and for women's soccer fan. And speaking of those resources, if you haven't checked it out already, go to my Wosopedia page. Just go to keepernotes.com, click on Wosopedia. That's where you can find the Google Calendar, the Google Sheet link of all NWSL rosters by club, including a page of recent international call-ups. I've got the U.S. Women's call-up history dating back to 2015. And, of course, purchase links for my almanacs still finalizing the most recent one. It always takes so long, but it's always worth it. Um, you can pre-order now or wait till it comes out. You can buy in PDF or print or both. All right. That's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. want to thank all the listeners, anyone who's just started listening or been listening since the beginning, anyone who tweets about it, tells friends about it. Always appreciate that. Big thanks, of course, to my producer, Sean, for putting this all together and for putting up with me. And thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast. But now she's anybody's girl.